Thank you, and once again, welcome to the Theological Seminar of the Air. And we trust today's broadcast will be a blessing to you and enable you to understand the Word of God better by a detailed study of the great theological doctrines of the Word of God. These broadcasts bring you, on a seminary level, the discussions of the great doctrines of the Word of God, and yet we try with the grace of God to bring them to you in layman's language, or I believe out in the world they call this gut level. I believe that's the expression they use. At least down to earth where you can get the fodder and get the feed and get your soul fed. Sam Jones used to say, I'm perfectly able at putting all the feet up in the loft for only the giraffes can get it, but I've even putting it down the ground where the billy goats can get it too. And by adopting the tradesman's terminologies in discussing theological subjects, an awe of mystery has been thrown over the doctrine of the Word of God to give the common, ordinary Christian the peculiar inferiority complex that he can't learn about these things unless he has a college education. And, of course, this is nonsense. Some of the biggest fools you ever meet in your life are college-educated people. And there's no fool like a theological fool going around talking about charisma and parousia and talking about the tamarisk and the asherah and the wadis and blowing off his top about uh, superlapsanism and infolapsanism and the theological discussions of the imminent to all this nonsense. Uh, the best way to get that Bible is get your dime store King James Bible open and get your knees and start learning. Now, our lesson this week is a very important lesson because it concerns the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to the believer. And we've said on numerous other broadcasts that probably no people more ignorant today of the work of the Holy Spirit than the people who lay the emphasis on the Holy Ghost. Uh, the people who talk the most about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like the carnal Corinthians of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. They know perhaps as least about the Holy Spirit as little as anybody who ever lived. As a matter of the fact, the so-called gifted church at Corinth, the one who had the charisma, who call themselves charismatic gifted Christians, these Christians were so stupid, they didn't even know their body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said to that bunch of carnal people who always talked about the gifts of the Spirit, what? Know you not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and your body, which are God's. It would appear the only Christian in the New Testament who didn't know their bodies were temples of the Holy Ghost were the people who bragged about their charisma, their gifts. And, of course, charisma means a gift, and the charismatic is supposedly, I mean, the contemporary baloney is, that it's a gifted person. Now, as we said before, the people who know the least about the Holy Spirit, the people who brag about the gifts of the Spirit, instead of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that the person who professed to be gifted never has very much to say about Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but is always fooling around the carnal church at Corinth, who, in addition to speaking in tongues, had members who were committing fornication with their father's wives, who were coming to the Lord's Supper drunk, and were arguing among themselves and causing divisions and schisms in the body of Christ. The most carnal church in the New Testament was the Corinthian church. And you can always spot the carnal Christian by his hanging around Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. Those are the places. Notice in Acts chapter 2, there are no Christians present. In Acts chapter 2, no gospel, the grace of God is preached. In Acts chapter 2, nobody knows about the revelation of the body of Christ or salvation by grace through faith. In Acts 2, they're all Jews or Jewish proselytes. In Acts 2, none of the New Testament has been written. In Acts 2, they're going by the Old Testament. And in Acts 2, the address is to Jews. 
Therefore, the carnal Christian will live and die in Acts 2 because it's the wrong place. The only other place he'll go to is the carnal church at Corinth, and that's where they go. Now, we're going to talk on this broadcast about the relation of the Holy Spirit to the believer and his active work in 39 particulars. There are 39 ways the Holy Spirit works in the believer, and there are no so-called charismatic people in America who can even discuss this subject intelligently. Because, after all, these people are not serious students of sound doctrine. They are students who come to the Word of God and take ten verses out of the context to try to prove an emotional experience is scriptural. I'll repeat that. These people are not serious students of the Bible. They are people who take ten verses out of context to prove that an emotional experience is scriptural. All right, the work of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, in relation to the believer. Number one. He assures the born-again child of God of sonship and makes him like Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. The born-again believer never doubts his sonship or his father. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we are sons of God, and with the work of the Holy Spirit to assure us of this sonship. Number two, the Holy Spirit seals the believer as a pledge or earnest of future glory. 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13 and 14. He seals the believer and puts in the end the earnest or pledge of future glory that someday he will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This predestination is absolute and had nothing to do with salvation. The word predestination in the Word of God is never a reference to salvation in the New Testament. And the only two times where predestination occurs, it occurs in relation to a man who has received Christ, being predestinated to an adoption, and number two, a man who has received Christ, being predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the destination of the believer is absolutely fixed, certain and infallible, and the Holy Spirit brings this pledge of earnest into the body of the believer when he saves. The believer is sealed not till he falls from grace, not till he quits believing, but he is sealed, quote, unto the day of redemption. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit fills the believer with himself, giving a victorious life. In Ephesians 5.18, we read, Be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, we read, The disciples were filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. When the disciples were filled with the Spirit in Acts 4, they did not speak in tongues. None of them did. In Acts chapter 4, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out and spread Jesus Christ all over the neighborhood. The Holy Spirit fills the believer with himself, giving a victorious life. Number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, and sets him apart under holiness, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. If the Holy Spirit in the believer sets him apart from the world and sets him off for God and reserves him for God's use. That is an all. The Holy Spirit abides continuously in the believer, according to John chapter 14, verse 16. Sixthly, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and teaches the believer, according to John chapter 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit further brings all things to remembrance that have been faithfully learned, according to John 14, 26. Number eight, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit testifies to the believer regarding Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in the believer 
constantly reveal Jesus Christ to the believer, according to John 15, verse 26. Ninthly, the Holy Spirit and the believer guides the believer into all truth, according to John 16, 13, and this is the cure for error. When you find these hobbly-gobbly, hostile, shantai untie bow-tie, mumbly-jumbly, hostile, goo-boo-bobble, the blue-blue Christians running around, they are Christians who have quit following the Holy Spirit's leadership in the truth, and they're following their emotional experiences into the pit. The born-again believer is constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit, and the born-again believer with the Holy Spirit in him, as long as he seeks the truth, is going to find it, because he has the promise the Holy Spirit will guide and lead him into all truth. John 16, 13. And when you find a believer who has stopped with the truth of total depravity, like a Calvinist, or the truth of eternal spirit of the believer, like a Baptist, or the truth of the gifts of the Spirit to the body, like a charismatic, you're dealing with a backslidden heretic who has quit seeking the truth, and God has quit showing him the truth. Christ said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, but truth is a progressive thing. And the Bible said about many people in the last days, they'll be ever learning, yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The cure for error is a love of the truth. And I don't mean a love of your personal experience. Now, with the great emphasis on humanism today by the international socialists, the born-again believers in many churches have adopted a liberal or humanistic approach toward the Bible. This humanistic or liberal approach is the approach that, with a certain amount of education, the believer is able to correct the Bible, or if he's had enough emotional experiences of what he thinks is spiritual nature, he is equipped to interpret the Bible contrary to what the Word says. And that is why in these broadcasts we are always careful to give the Christian what the Scriptures say about the Scripture, and not merely what they are presumed to teach. The humanistic approach that makes a God out of man in preparation for the Antichrist will be the devil-man has infected the Bible-believing churches to where the Bible-believing people are worshiping men in TV entertainment and worshiping men in setting up human experience as an infallible authority over the written words of God. This is very manifest in the Laodicean church period by the constant corrections of the correct text by men who think their education equips them to correct the word of God. Basically, this is modernism or liberalism, and it is now being practiced by fundamental Bible-reading Christians especially in Christian colleges and universities. What is going on is the virus infection of liberalistic humanism that makes a god out of man has infected the faculty members of Christian schools. So they are training teachers and preachers to correct the Word of God on the theory that man has more understanding than the Bible. We might call this new religion liberal fundamentalism. And it is very manifest in the charismatic movement, which judges the Word of God by emotional experiences and considers the emotional experience of the sinner of superior authority to the written Word of God. This is quite manifest by the fact that the humanistic fundamentalists, who are actually liberal in their approach, have taken their emotional experience and pretended that there are unknown tongues and acts too, where there are none, and that 1 Corinthians 14 is a baptism of the Holy Ghost, although it's mentioned nowhere in the Word of God. Now, in order to overcome this error, the Christian must love the truth and seek the truth, and he has the promise the Holy Spirit will guide him into all truth. John chapter 16, verse 13. But where he ceases to search for the truth and love the truth, he goes into error. All right, number 10. 
The Holy Spirit takes our bodies and glorifies Christ in them and through them, according to John 6, 14, 16, 14. The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us, John 16, 14. That is in all. The Holy Spirit gives the Christian power to obey God in the time of weakness, and the Holy Spirit strengthens us, according to Ezekiel 36, verse 27. 13. The Holy Spirit gives the believer power to obey the truth, irrespective of the cost. 1 Peter 1.22. The Holy Spirit gives the believer freedom from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.2. The Holy Spirit takes the weak believer and fulfills the law of righteousness in him. Romans 8, verse 3 and verse 4. Or now continuing on. The Holy Spirit takes the weak believer, fulfills the law of righteousness in him, and this means that even the person who's weak, the Lord Jesus Christ in that believer can make that believer what he ought to be by the grace of God. That is in all. 16. The Holy Spirit gives the believer power to please God by granting victory over the flesh. Read Romans 8. 17. He will quicken this mortal body of ours after we're dead. Romans 8.11. He gives power to mortify the deeds of the body and put the deeds of the body to death. Romans 8.13. The Holy Ghost directs the believer in his prayer life to pray in the will of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Romans 8, 27. And he gives the believer victory over the terrible desires of the flesh when we yield to him, according to Galatians 5, 16 and Galatians 5, 17. Furthermore, the Holy Ghost leads the believer out from under the law to liberty in Christ. Galatians 5, 18. And he is the one that calls us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Now, this is very important. The modern emphasis on the so-called gifted boobs that think they're gifted and have no gifts is a turning away from the fruit of the Spirit that cannot be accidental, like a gift, but is the work of the Holy Spirit and the believer producing forth, bringing forth real eternal things that abide forever. For the reason why the emphasis has been shifted from Galatians 5 to 1 Corinthians 12 is, first of all, Corinthians was a carnal bunch of Christians at Corinth, and secondly, because it's much easier to pretend you have something you don't have, like a gift, than it is to bear fruit. Hence, the people who talk the most about the Holy Ghost are very careful to avoid the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. As a matter of fact, if you want to see somebody lose their temper in violation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, meekness, and long-suffering, you just cross one of these charismatic junkies one time about his gift and watch him blow his top. He doesn't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, if a man boasts himself of a false gift, he is like winds and clouds without rain. Now, if you live in Texas or Arizona or Oklahoma, or in the next door California, you ought to know what that verse means. When that thunderhead comes up and looks like you're going to get that refreshing draught, and then it breezes over and not a drop comes down... You know how you feel about that kind of thing. That is the picture of a man who professes to have charisma when he doesn't have it. And the people that don't have it are usually the people who talk the most about having it. And when you put them on the spot, they can't produce. I recall two cases. A lady walking up down in her backyard, a preacher's wife, reading a piece of paper the red hostile shantai, tai bo tai habale gabale shindu shantai, maspala and while she was reading that, a saved woman next door said, What are you doing? And the preacher's wife said, I'm practicing my tongues. 
And the saved believer said, practicing your tongues, you mean reading them off a sheet of paper to memorize them? And she said, well, if you don't use your gift, you're liable to lose it. Now, after that, you can write B-U-N-K-O. That woman wasn't gifted. She was a self-deceived idiot. The idea of claiming a gift because you memorized eight lines on a sheet of paper. Imagine that. Reminded me of a couple of the colored brethren down here. One said to the other one, he said, Where'd you learn how to sing, man? He said, Well, I learned through the correspondence school. The other one said, Boy, you sure must have lost a messy old male. <laughs> when you see some of these charismatics perform, you're convinced they must have lost a mess of a male. One of these hobbly gobbly hostile Ashantan tub bow tie boobs came into a house of a friend of mine, and after leading in prayer, he got down on the floor and hobbly gobbly mumbly shindle Ashantai, soul American. And when he got through and got up, my friend said to him, he said, what's your scriptural authority for doing what you just did? And the fellow said, Mark 16. And my friend went back in the back room and got a bottle of ammonia and brought it back out of the kitchen cupboard and said, would you drink some of this for me? And the fellow laughed and said, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. That'd be tempting God. <laughs> and my friend said, well, that's funny. The path that speaks about the other tongues and drinking deadly things is the same passage in Mark 16. How come one of them is tempting God and the other isn't? And that old charismatic blew his top. They don't have any patience, don't have any tolerance, don't have any love. Just a great big mouth. I had a lady come up to me one time at the end of the service and shook my hand. She said, Brother Ruckman... You know, they all just drool piety, you know. <laughs> she came up, Brother Ruckman, I know you don't understand, but uh, dearly beloved brother, we are just praying that God will get you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know, they can't say Holy Spirit. They say Holy Ghost, you know. The Lord messes up their diction. And she were praying that God will get you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, oh, it's such a blessing. You know, you just can't imagine how much more power you'll have. And, oh, my life was so barren before God gave me the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, oh, Brother Ruckman, we're just praying that God will fill you and anoint you and you. And she got all through, you know, pouring on the honey and the syrup 15 feet deep that might have fooled some sucker. I still had a hold of her hand there, but she'd shaken hands. And getting a good grip where she couldn't leave immediately, I said very quietly, Dear Sister, I just want to thank you for your prayers, and we'll be praying for you, too, that God will give you a gift that's worth something. And we thank God that God has given you the least gift in the church and the poorest gift he could give a carnal Christian. And we'll pray that someday you'll grow up to be a mature Christian like us, and God will give you something better. <laughs> Why that spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled, Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost Christian like to came apart at the seams, man? She stripped her gears and burned out a clutch plate, blew a couple of gaskets, and went out the door in all directions, man. Spirit-filled, you're afoot. Why that these hobbly-gobbly, untie bone tie hostile shan die get so upset in the service, they got up and walked out and slammed the door in the middle of the service. You think that's the Holy Spirit, do you? Let me tell you something, friend. I never met a preacher in my life that preached me off the front row of a church. I can go sit in the front row of a church at Kingdom Hall and listen to all the heresy that J.W. has to say and take notes on it and walk out cheerfully and enjoy my lunch. I could go to any healing meeting in this world by by T.T. Osborne or Captain Coleman or Earl Roberts and sit there and take notes on the false doctrine and all the 
and the shenanigans and all the fantastic baloney and walk out and enjoy a good afternoon fishing. And when you find a man who doesn't have enough patience and meekness and temperance to sit under a mess he doesn't like, you're not dealing with a Holy Spirit-filled believer. You're dealing with a spoiled brat. And the gift he brags of is no gift at all. And if it was a gift, you ought to trade it in for a used ass Edsel and make you some money. That isn't all. Number 23. The Holy Spirit can give us a holy walk as we're led by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. 24. The Holy Spirit assists us in putting away the things that displease our Father. Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32. Number 25. The Holy Spirit and the believer put Satan to flight by lifting up the standard against him. 26. He gives rest to the soul that is trusting in the Lord. Isaiah 63, verse 14. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus Christ Lord of our private lives. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Like a man said, the resident ought to be president, and the border ought to be ruler. The resident of our house and the border who's come to stay with us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit that magnifies him as Lord, ruler of our life and our private lives. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit gives liberty and freedom to the child of God, according to 2 Corinthians 3.17. The Holy Spirit can give divine love to the children of God, Romans 5.5, 5, and give us a love for people we don't like, and give us the power to forgive our enemies where normally we couldn't do it. The Holy Spirit gives fullness of joy, happiness, and satisfaction to the saints, according to Acts 13.52. The Holy Spirit, 31, strengthens the inward man with spiritual power, power to resist the devil, Ephesians 3:16. 32, the Holy Spirit gives righteousness, peace, and joy to the Lord's children, according to Romans 14, verse 17, Romans 15, verse 13. That is an all. The Holy Spirit reveals and interprets and applies the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 14. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to impart truth to others, according to Acts 1.8 and 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. The Holy Spirit inspires worship and adoration of God himself, according to John 4.23 and Philippians 3.3. 3. The Holy Spirit is a comforter, sent to comfort the child of God, according to Acts 9, verse 31. Furthermore, 37, the Holy Spirit calls men in Christ and directs them to certain paths of service, Acts 13, 2-4. The Holy Spirit can even lead in the details of the believer's life and service, if we're to believe Matthew 4.1 and Romans 8.14. And finally, 39, the Holy Spirit makes genuine our access to the Father in heaven so we can walk right into the throne room with our petitions without going through an intermediator, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. And though this is a very lengthy list, I doubt if it is complete, for it doesn't include the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit gives to the church, and of these gifts, the ones that are not signs are still active in the church. The mistaken foolishness of Pentecostals and Charismatics is in the stupid assumption that all the gifts are still active when you are specifically told that the gifts of tongues and healing are signs, and the signs are for Israel. This is why the immature Christian is always in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, well, the apostolic signs are manifest to Israel because the Jews seek for a sign. And this is why the immature baby in Christ, or the spoiled brat of the hobbledy-gobbledy, untie bow-tie, hostile shantai blubberty blah 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 is always messing around with the acts of the apostles, and you never find him where he ought to be in Ephesians and Colossians. The immature baby wants to counterfeit the signs for power so people will think he's powerful. 
Therefore, he's always fooling with the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that deal with Israel, the signs. And you're told in 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews seek for a sign, and 1 Corinthians 14.22, that tongues are for a sign. There'll be no gain saying about it that the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are certainly for the body of Christ and are certainly still manifest. But the specific ones that are said to be signs of Israel under apostolic signs, 2 Corinthians 12.12 and 1 Corinthians 14.22, are no longer in effect, which is perfectly apparent by the fact that all the apostles are dead. Now, if there's any doubt in your mind about this, study your Bible instead of talking like a deceived fool, and notice that at the end of Paul's ministry, he couldn't even heal his own friends. Trophimus was left sick at Miletus, and Timothy was recommended medicine for his tummy. <laughs> but nothing like believing all the Bible instead of professing to believe it when you don't. You can leave all your Bible. You know, the greatest apostle who ever lived couldn't heal his best friends at the close of the book of Acts. You ought to know that. You people believe in Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever without any regard to where that verse appeared or what it had a reference to. All right, finally, the Holy Spirit can strive with men, Genesis 6-3, in attempting to turn them from sin to righteousness. The Holy Spirit enlightens men, according to Job 32-8. He induced men with skill and talents, according to Exodus 31. He helps men to do ordinary tasks, like Judges 6.34, and unusual tasks that require supernatural strength, like Judges 14.6. And although this is a very incomplete list, we have still listed here <coughs> about 39 things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer, and five or six things he does in addition to these works found in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, then, is a very important person, the third member of the Godhead, a very active worker in the life of the believer, and the Holy Spirit is the dominant character in the Bible outside of God the Father and God the Son. On next week's broadcast, we'll talk about sins against the Holy Spirit in Lesson 48, a very important subject, sins against the Holy Spirit. This will be the subject of our next two lessons, Lesson 48 and 49, and we trust and hope you'll join us then on those broadcasts. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.